Hey, what is going on, everybody? And welcome to the College Info Geek Podcast, the internet's best podcast for students and young people trying to get ahead and learn more efficiently, but not a good resource for those trying to carbonate their own blood, which actually is probably a really bad like, idea. Like a blood spritzer? Yeah, like a blood... Actually, I think Sounds if you carbonate awesome. your, your blood, all that carbonation is just going to go to your head and you will die. So... Don't let it go to your head. If there is a podcast out there about how to do that, I will not be linking it up in the show notes. I think it's in pretty obvious. You just get a LaCroix and you just, <laughs> just like sort of in, shotgun it. it into a vein. Ooh, yeah. I don't like that. Now, I do think I'm you'll die. Squirmish. Yeah, I think you would die. But it's for the art. Do you think you'd die if you carbonated your blood? Yes. <laughs> Probably yes. Uh, so whatever, uh, whatever podcast out there is trying to get people to do that, I won't be linking it up. But... Today, we will be taking five questions from our amazing audience. Uh, I think all of these questions actually come from my personal Instagram DMs. So thank you to all of you guys who have been DMing me your questions. If I haven't responded to you, it's because I've been long dead and all of these are just recordings. That's fair. I'm from the 1800s. Uh, wait, double that for me too. I haven't responded to a bunch. So, well, I, so I made, I don't know if this is a mistake, but I made the mistake of putting in my story that it was DM answering time. Oh, you did imply that you would and, answer, And then you? a bunch of people sent me more DMs, which is fine. But what it means is I still have a backlog. And also, I did see somebody ask recently, like, when's the next time you're going to be answering DMs? There's not really a time. I do it continually. But it doesn't mean that I can get to everyone's oh, quickly yeah. because yeah. there are a lot of them. Um, but... I take a lot of the good ones and I turn them into questions. I do anonymize them for anybody who's worried about that. I try to scrub any like details that could be personally identifying, but I do turn them into questions that I think would be interesting for the audience at large to listen to and get some insight from. So we have five of those on this week's podcast. But before we get into that, I do want to mention that I was on another podcast recently. That is true. I was. Um, and that was Wisecracks the Squanch, which is their Rick and Morty podcast where they dig into the philosophy and deeper meanings behind the episodes. So I'm going to have the episode that I was in, which analyzes the third episode of season two, the one with the hive mind. Oh, that's a good, it's a good one. one. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be in the show notes. So if you want to dig into some of the philosophy behind that show, then definitely check that episode out and you might find a new podcast that you like or you could just uh, search the Squanch in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or, I don't know, does Microsoft have a podcast app yet? I don't know. Bing Casts. Bing Casts. You think that's what it's called? If you say that three times, it will appear and now it's real. <laughs> have you ever gone into the bathroom and turned the lights off and actually said Bloody Mary in the mirror three times? No. No? Nope. I have. I didn't care. I have. Hence why I'm now dead. She's not my friend and she's not invited. Oh, okay. To what? If she was cooler. To your wedding? She could come to my murder, I, I assume. Okay. <laughs> but she's not invited to my murder. Somebody cooler can do it. Okay. Yeah. So we've got, um, we're going back to the old school. We've got the hot cinnamon rooibos today. Okay. And I'm actually pouring the tea for Martin. Got to get the them hot spices. Who said that I was impolite for not pouring your tea. I don't think that's necessary. But I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, yeah, that's fine. You're probably getting <laughs> some tea karma. Probably, yeah. Oh, I like tea karma. And that's also probably a good name for a tea store. That's fair. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to have a tea store someday. Anywho, let's get into these questions. Before I read out the first one, I do want to mention that if you have a question, you can DM me on Instagram. I'm Tom Frankly. You can DM Martin on Instagram. You are Yo Martholomew. That is true. Also, you got some pretty cool pictures on your profile. I do try to have so, some sort of pictures of some type. Uh, Twitter, email, smoke signals, whatever it is. Uh, the, if you're watching this on YouTube, we have a comment section right down below this video where you can put questions. We try to just kind of keep our eyes peeled for good questions wherever they may come. Uh, but I guess if I had to pick a favorite, it would be Instagram because I can screenshot them and just kind of create a nice little collection of good questions. And then I make these notes. So... I wanted to cover this first question because I think it's going to be a good refresher for people who are going into a new semester in just a few weeks here. So this person says, this fall, I'm starting an engineering program in the U.S. I've never been to college before, and I don't completely understand the U.S. educational system. So do you have any advice so I don't fail miserably? I picked this question not because I think there's a ton of people who are specifically going to college in the U.S. from a different country and have no idea how our educational system works. But I thought that this was a good example of somebody who is concerned about not letting anything slip through the cracks. 
Okay. And we've got a new semester starting in what? Yeah, like three or four weeks, I think. It's really As weird we're recording to be this, out this of is, sync with that. This is July 31st. I'm super not out of sync with it. I'm always aware of it. I don't know what month but it is half the time. It's kind of, it's kind of my job. Um, I wanted to just talk about some things that people should keep in mind so they don't fall behind. And one of the biggest things I told this person is whatever program you're doing, make sure that you get your hands on all of the program requirements that are um, part of your degree. So the core classes, the, uh, what do they call them, prerequisites, the general education requirements, like speech classes, general science classes, whatever you have to do, make sure you have the paper that lays that out and make sure you know exactly where it is. And I took this a step further as a student myself. I created a spreadsheet called Program of Study where I had a column for every year of college planned out. And then I had all the, the classes that I intended to take. And then in second column for each one of those semesters, I would list the number of credits each class was worth. I would bold the class if it was required. And then I had a total column at the bottom of the spreadsheet because at Iowa State University, there was a credit requirement to graduate. Yeah. So that way I would know if I decided to change, like, oh, I don't want to take Linux building class. I don't want to compile Gentoo. Who would have thought that wasn't actually that fun? I'm actually going to take this networking class instead. I can go into my spreadsheet. I can swap it out. If I notice that the class I don't want to take is bolded, well, now I should actually probably take that. And the credit total will update so I know that I'm still good on those requirements. Okay. So that that was a big thing for me. I don't know if there's anything else that you had to add on that note. I mean, the degree audit feature was amazing, and I did that all the time. If I don't know if that's for every school, though. I would hope so, because it was a really nice feature. Even if it's not for every school, why don't you, you explain it You could manually it plan it out. Yeah. So, like, the degree auditing system was a system where it would take the classes you've already taken into account, and it would allow you to uh, either insert, let's say I'm taking these classes next semester, and it would, like, let you pretend, and then it would even let you switch degrees if you wanted. So if I was like, what if I wanted to major in dance? Let's see what would happen. And then it's like, oh, well... You wouldn't be graduating next year, that's for sure. It would like show you what are you missing everywhere. Yeah. So you can actually test things out. And one of our friends actually found out that he was closer to graduating in a separate major after checking this. And these things are just important to check. I checked it every single semester when I was signing up for new classes. Mm -hmm. And some of the classes aren't always taught every semester. Yeah. So if you take them in the wrong order, you might have to go another semester or another full year just to get that very last class you needed. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was kind of afraid of and why I wanted so badly to make sure that the the plan worked every semester. Does this still work? Does this still work? Because I don't want to take an extra semester for one class. That's a huge waste of money. That's good to know. And I do remember us using the degree audit program to see whether or not you could graduate early and actually turned out that you could. Yep. So you graduated a semester early, which saved you a few grand in tuition. Yeah, that's uh, and it allowed you to, to go full time. I mean, I like a few grand. That's I yeah. like money. Well, you also got to go full time in your job, which means you were making more uh, that's money. true. Sooner. So that was pretty cool. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because the degree audit system is a way to do essentially a what if analysis. And a lot of people out there, they eventually get to the point where they're wondering about a different major. I actually thought about switching from MIS to construction engineering at one point during my college career. Hmm. I didn't do it, but I was able to run the what if to see, oh, how much is this going to add on to you know my requirements? Do I have to stay an extra year or extra two years? And it's kind of like that spreadsheet that we talked about in the last episode, or I think two episodes ago, where I can put in different numbers to see how they would affect my finances. Like what would happen if I went and got a job? Or what would happen if I had a car payment now? Oh, yeah. It's really useful to be able to see those things in advance to do like a what if. So that way you know what's going to happen if it actually happens. Uh, A couple of notes that you made me think of. Number one, talk to your academic advisor, but don't trust them entirely. Oh, no. So I've heard I've heard an equal number of stories where a student gets overconfident and thinks that they can plan out their education all on their own by looking on the university website, by knowing the requirements, and they never talk to their advisor. And eventually, either they overlook something and screw up, or they miss out on an opportunity they wouldn't have known of, but the advisor knows about. And then I've heard other stories 
where students just blindly took the advice of their academic advisor and never double-checked it, and that also got them into hot water. And the thing is, like, your academic advisor is a fallible human who has probably hundreds of students that they're advising. Yeah. So even if they have a 99% correct rate of planning out everyone's, you know, graduation, there's going to be one out of 99 times where something slips through the cracks. Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe their wife was yelling at them. I don't know. And they just, they missed something. So go talk to your academic advisor and be in contact with them on a regular basis, but also know the requirements of your major, know exactly what you want and how you're going to get it yourself. Yeah. And I would say that this applies to high school as well as college, because there were choices I had in high school about what classes I wanted to take and, you know, where I was planning on going to college. Does this dual credit class actually transfer to this college? Does it transfer to this other college? That's maybe my backup. There's a lot of things to keep in mind and nobody cares about your future more than you do. Well, maybe your mom does. Maybe. But your mom probably doesn't have all that stuff. I don't know. Maybe yeah, some well, moms she, do. She doesn't necessarily have all the information. My mom didn't have any of the information. Yeah. So there you go. Mine. I had to do it myself. Exactly. Yep. I had to do my own taxes as a teenager. <laughs> so my mom definitely cared, but there's just certain things that she wasn't an expert on. Yeah. So I had to figure it out. Um, and the other thing, every single semester, there's probably going to be an academic calendar that's on the university website or emailed oh, yeah. to you, or maybe the teacher has it. That is going to list things like the date at which you can sign up for the next semester's classes or when finals are, where finals are. You know, a lot of schools, you don't take finals in your actual classroom that you took the, the class in, or maybe it's at a different time. So as soon as you can, before the semester starts, put that information into your own personal calendar. Know when you can sign up for classes, know when finals are happening. And another thing that I would advise is figuring out when your professor has office hours and replicating their office hours calendar into your own calendar. And what I did was I just made a, a specific calendar in Google Calendar called Professor Office Hours. I wrote down everyone's office hours and then I would keep it turned off and hidden by default. Okay. But if I ever wanted to go see a professor, I could turn it on. There was no friction, no hassle, and I would actually go. Now, that's a good idea because I definitely would never have gone to see anybody if I had <laughs> needed it just because I'd be like, I don't want to look it up right now. It's like, mm -hmm. eh, they're probably not available. Always remember that at the beginning of the semester, your motivation is high and your workload is low. Yeah. So you should take that opportunity to set all these yeah, things up for yourself up. because during the middle of the semester, you're going to be swamped and you're like, ah, I'll just... I'll do good next semester. I can I can take the hit this semester. And that's not what we want to see. Um, so always remember you are the captain of your own ship and you need to have your ship in order. But there are also people out there who can help you and don't ignore them. All right, question number two. How do I grow my own business from nothing? I'm talking zero dollars, zero connections, zero relationships. I'm only 17 years old right now and I don't have any financial flexibility and no one wants to hire me. So what do I do? Do we know what kind of business this is at all? Nope. No? Okay. Just he business. literally just, just business. asked me this question on Instagram. Um, and I honestly didn't, I didn't think that I needed to know what the business was to say a few preliminary things. Oh, there are definitely some. So uh, what's on your mind with this question? Well, my first thought was, does it involve computers? Because that, that mm. I think there's a different pathway if you're trying to do like tech stuff there's a lot easier path for you to do online by yourself for mm -hmm. free and magically become an expert in things and immediately kind of, it's kind of like fast forwarding through some of the other things. If you needed to find, if you were trying to do a brick and mortar business, for example, yeah, that's tough. you would have to do far more than if you were just trying to become a web developer mm -hmm. to get in the door. But the, the only thing that I could think of for this, because I think that that's just the, the truth behind all success. And we talked about it and the why you aren't successful yet episode a few ago. Don't remember which one. Some number ago. Some number ago. The show notes will tell you. But basically my first thought was like, you got to start with one small success. And then every single time, it's like a success spiral because every mm -hmm. time you are successful, you are now in a position that is better than before. You probably have more resources because you were successful the first time. And then you can keep going and keep going. So when you get your first client that's not like a family member or something, then all you've got to do is keep building on that. Because yeah. when you start out with nothing, I didn't I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I started out with little. And 
I have slowly worked into a good position and it, it couldn't possibly have happened all at once. It's only mm-hmm. because the small wins were valuable that yeah. I could get anywhere. Actually, you know what? Let's, let's dig into your story because I think this is a good illustration. Right now, especially right now, you are essentially a, a full-time programmer. Yeah. And I guess also podcast co-host on the side. But for the past, you know, three or four weeks, you've been building this new website. It is like the pinnacle of your skill level. You have a lot of say over it. And that didn't just happen overnight. No. And so, it didn't just happen because I know you. Yeah. Because I had done many things before that that had led to it. So part of success is luck, yes. But, like, I had been building websites and coding stuff forever. Mm-hmm. I had taken exclusively IT and web support jobs in school throughout throughout my community college, which I started at because I wouldn't have had the money for university first. Yeah. yeah. So I started at a, at a community college, and I got a job there, and then I did web stuff on the side. Didn't and have you any were clients. Like free... I was just learning. I was just doing cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Didn't you help build the website for your, your record label that you made with your friends? Uh, I didn't do most of the coding on that because my partner also loves coding. That's true. But... I had coded a lot of things. I coded my own blog. I did uh, the language blog Polyglot for a while. Mm -hmm. And I had several web development jobs in college. And then I ended up building the current version of College Info Geek, Mm -hmm. this website. And that was only because you had already seen me build my own websites. So it was convenient. It was believable. And then... Like, I didn't come straight into this. I used all of these and then built a love letter site, which I only knew how to build because of all the previous stuff and all the confidence that I had gained from blogging. And I used that to get myself a full-time job right out of college with a development agency that I really wanted to work for. And then I used that, and eventually I got injured and had to quit that job, but now I'm here again. And, like, I could not have jumped here and without all the little free projects and things I did, I could yeah. not have jumped to getting paid. And without patience, I would have gotten nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just really difficult. And I think that all success is going to be, unless you're extraordinarily lucky, it's there's going to be a lot of stepping stones involved. So yeah. the best way I could think of to try and do anything, whether it's a business or a regular job or whatever, is to simply what find out what is the next realistic short-term goal you can aim for yeah. not just let's think big here's my 10-year goal i'm gonna spend the next half a year doing nothing but branding hypothesis in my brain mm-hmm. like you, you're putting off all the real work the short-term goals matter and yeah, they, and I've they seen turn that. into big ones i've seen people get into this chronic loop of of you know reinventing their brand and and launching yeah. all these big things and then never following through so it is important to just know what the next goal post is Well, it's like we like to blame really weird specific stuff for why we're not winning at things rather Mm -hmm. than the obvious, well, it's probably that I'm not doing the thing I'm afraid to start yet. Yep. I'm sure, actually, the reason I don't have any clients is because my personal website, the shade of orange on the background, it's just, it's a little too bright. And if I just change that, maybe, maybe change the font, then I'll get hired. Well, wait, you got to go, you got to go read some more color theory and psychology articles. Yeah, you got to tell you, you you got to make the buy button purple. Otherwise, people aren't going to buy. It's like it's so easy to get caught in that, like the planning, the preliminary mm-hmm. stages. But unless you have a short-term concrete goal, you you might get stuck there for good. Yeah. So what I was going to say is when you have no clout or notoriety, no connections, no working capital, money to invest into the business, then you need to ask yourself, well, what are the resources I do have? Because to do anything in life, you have to apply resources to the problem. And what you have is whatever level of talent you currently possess, whatever level of work that you have that you can show off, and your time. So my answer is work for free. And that could either mean work for free for someone else, as in go volunteer or go tell someone that you're going to work, you know, for them for free or work for free for yourself. Like build a project on your own for your own reasons that you can then show off. If you look at like game developers like Matt Thorson, who made um, 
Towerfall and Celeste. He has, and I have a video on this that I think people should watch, and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, He has this whole back catalog of games on his website that he built just for fun. Nobody ever bought them. They were freeware, but they were practice. And they were the stepping stones that got him to the point where he could actually make a game that people would want to buy. And then he could actually work with other developers to make a bigger project. You know, if you have no game development experience and you go message an artist and you're like, hey, I have an amazing game idea. I need you to draw all the assets for it. They're going to be like, okay, can you code it? And if you say no, well, I'm working on it. They're not going to work with you. <laughs> yeah, I got some Udemy tutorials like yeah, queued up. They don't want to gamble their time on you probably yeah. giving up in a few months. Exactly. So when you go back and you look at Matt's previous games, like they're not ugly, but they're very simple. You know, little, little blocks of color pretty much. And then you look at a game like Celeste and it's just beautiful in every single oh, way. I love the music Celeste. And it's the, so good. It's amazing. But and you know, Towerfall. There's, there's a clear progression there. So he started working for free for himself. Um you could go work for free for somebody else. And I do like that you brought up the difference between online-focused businesses and things like a brick-and-mortar business because it may be a little harder to go do something for yourself in, like, a brick-and-mortar business. I feel like there are a lot more stepping stones because, like, usually you'll find yourself in life either with an excess of time or money. Mm-hmm. Usually it's just one of the two because you've wasted all of the one to get the other. Yeah. And right now, in the early phases with no money, you have plenty of time. But time still does not get you a building. Nope. Time is not acceptable capital to the bank mm-hmm. when, when you're buying something. So you just got to gotta keep spending time until you get the money later to yeah. invest in a building. And you have to map out like what is needed to actually achieve this. If I want to be a web developer, then what is needed is some amount of skill, which is probably a easily acquired in a year, maybe, of practice. And I need the ability to go out and find clients. If I want to start a car company, I'm going to need a lot of know-how in a lot of different dimensions. I'm going to need a lot of capital to invest. I'm going to need a factory, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I'm how, probably do, how do I get partners. that factory money? Just So what can I do now? Because clearly there's there's no like, ground zero, and then boom, I have a car factory path. I'm going to have to do a bunch of things. Maybe the first step is I go to school and I spend 10 years in an established company in the industry as a designer designing cars. Yeah. And then, I don't know, maybe I partner up with another guy and have this really cool idea to build an electric car, and then maybe this billionaire comes and invests in my company, and then there's Tesla. And then maybe he ousts you and then you're really angry. But I digress. Uh, yeah. yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> but, you know, all I'm trying to say here is if you have this bigger goal that requires a lot more different types of resources to be invent- invested and a lot greater amounts of resources of each one, then you're going to have to go and kind of focus on one for a while. And it may take you years to get there. Yeah. But that's the price of having a more ambitious goal. Yeah, so if you focus on just that goal you might find yourself just, you know, despairing over how it's not happening anytime soon. So just mm-hmm. whatever, what's the next actually helpful step you can take that's yep. anywhere even near improving your position? Mm-hmm. Because that's all you can do right now. Yep. And aside from work for free, um, and I think we touched on this with a car example, go work for pay. We've got a friend who someday wants to own her own coffee shop. And coming out of college with student debt, Really, the only advice we could give her was go work in a coffee shop and make yourself so valuable and so indispensable that they eventually move you up from barista to running the store, which happened. Then you get now, the she's experience got the that you'll want the for the future. Yep. She's the general manager of her coffee shop now. She has the key. She knows all the operations. She's got day-to-day experience and, ex- and expertise now actually running the whole thing. So now she's acquired all the knowledge capital required to actually open her own someday if she maybe gets an investor or she saves up enough to get a building or what have you. Yeah. That's one piece of the puzzle placed. And you're not going to get that any other way that I can think of. Unless, I don't know, I guess you could maybe try doing it the opposite way where you go work in some high-value field, acquire a bunch of money, and then open your own coffee shop and just learn by the seat of your pants. In that case, you probably want to like... I, th- I think it'd be useful in that case to hire some sort of like yeah 
person who's got the experience that can help you get mm-hmm. through it with the resources. If I was going to open a coffee shop, I would want to know how to pull a real good shot of espresso, how to make real good coffee, and how to do it at scale. And I would also want to know, you know, how do I deal with um, health codes and, you know, commercial zoning and all kinds of stuff. Like there's a bunch of things that I would want to make sure that I knew about before I ever opened those doors. Yeah. And I think I would learn a lot just by going and working elsewhere, you know, maybe in a different city. So I wasn't being too much of a competitor the next time I open one. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Question number three. Hey, Tom. Wondering if you had any advice or resources on the best way to build up a high sense of self-esteem. I've seen your stuff on confidence, but never on self-esteem, and I feel like they're different things. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. What I told him is that I see confidence as something that stems from Mm self-esteem. And maybe you have a different take on this, but I feel like you have to like yourself before you can believe in yourself and, and be outwardly confident. Okay. I don't know if you disagree with that or not. I think that it's just a very personal and changing subject because it's also probably got some cultural stuff in there Mm -hmm. that would be hard to predict. But when I was, when I had seen the two words separated, I was like, I guess I didn't think about that very much. How would I differentiate them off the top of my head if I had to? Right. And like my personal first instinct was that like confidence, at least for me, is more related to my ability to succeed at something. Mm -hmm. Like... I think that I can succeed at most things, barring a few that I just can't ever learn to do very well, if I give it the time and effort. But right. then, to differentiate, I thought maybe self-esteem would reflect more of, do I think I am valuable due to that? Hmm. But sometimes, especially if if you're a person dealing with any sort of depression or, or any sort of bad situations you might be really good at stuff, but still not think you're that valuable. Like, mm, yes, okay. I could do this, but what's the what's the point? Like, I don't I don't think anybody cares about me anyway. Uh, you know, a lot of them, uh, existentialism. These skills don't matter long term. Yeah. And to resolve that sort of a thing, I would think that one of the biggest things that's helped me with any self esteem, because. Like, I often do get into a weird rut where I, like, don't feel like what I'm doing is that valuable, even though, like, it is and I'm good at it. And what I'm doing, not referring to this job, not not the podcast, other things, personal things. But the only thing that ever helps with that is spending more time with people that care about me to sort of prove wrong the belief mm. that I'm not valuable or to do things that scare me. Historically, those okay. two things are like the only ways that will help prove prove wrong the thought that, yeah, I'm skilled, but that skill's stupid. It's pointless. No one cares. It, what's the point? Right. The only thing that proves it wrong is b- building connections with other people and doing things that are really scary mm. and then coming out from them and being like, I guess I, I, I'm strong or something yeah. because of that. Yeah, I think both are important because I could picture a situation where you have great connections with people and they're telling you that you matter and they're telling you that you should like yourself and then you don't believe them. So I think you have to have experiences where you've done something, either overcome a fear or contributed to somebody else's life in a positive way Yeah, where you can sort of reinforce what you're being told through your own actions and their results. Yeah, and I had actually – good thing you said that because I haven't flipped this open because I thought I'd remember it all. Mm-hmm. But – Specifically, I had written down that one way to prove yourself valuable is to care for something. So you got pets, Mm. plants, like a garden that you take very seriously, or to go volunteer. Like I felt really good about myself when I was volunteering teaching English to refugees. Yeah. Because there was basically to say that that wasn't valuable while I was doing it would be discounting the importance of other people's lives. Yeah, it's true. And like no matter how bad I feel – I'm not going to discount the importance of somebody else. Mm -hmm. So if my value is linked to helping them, it feels selfish to say what I'm doing isn't worth it. Yeah. Like, why why would would I say that to them? Then they'd be like, wow, you really don't care about this, do you? Like, that wouldn't feel right. So it helps, helps, like, keep the belief that what you're doing isn't valuable or that you're not valued by people from even seeming realistic. Right, right. Do you think it's important to to be contributing 
to the lives of other people that you see in person? Contributing in sort of just like being there for them or? So I guess what I'm asking is, is there a tangible difference in the effect on your self-esteem between actually going and helping people in person and being able to see the effects with your own eyes and maybe doing something like, you know, writing a book or keeping a blog that helps people all over the world and maybe all you ever get is like comments or or emails. I I would think that at least something has to be done in person Mm -hmm. if if you're going to like stay, unless you're a particularly confident and happy person. Yeah. Sure. Maybe you're well-adjusted. You know, some people can be (laughs) well-adjusted. But I think that that in-person connection gives us stuff that we just can't get Mm -hmm. in any other way. That's what I wonder about. And maybe technology will get there someday. But like every form of communication I can think of is not quite the same as yeah. even just sitting in the same room with a friend and hanging out, even if you're ignoring each other. You know how we used to like hang out all in the same room? We'd all be just be playing video games or working on stuff separately, not even talking. Yeah. I miss it. And even that is a connection. Mm-hmm. And like humans are social creatures. We have societies. That's how our entire species succeeds. Yeah. It's a pretty intrinsic need, I think. Mm-hmm. Actually, there was a really good quote about that in this book. And sorry to people who watched one of my recent videos where I mentioned it, but I I think it is important to bring it up. So I'm going to try to find it. I know it's in his life principles. So for people who can't see the video right now. This is Ray Dalio's book, Principles. And um, it's just him talking about the lessons he lo- he's learned in, in work and life, mental models and things that have helped him to be successful. And on page 215 of the book, uh, he says, meaningful work and meaningful relationships aren't just nice things we choose for ourselves. They're genetically programmed into us. Neuroscientists, psychologists, and evolutionists agree The human brain comes pre-programmed with the need for and enjoyment of social cooperation. Our brains want it and develop better when we have it. The meaningful relationships we get from social cooperation make us happier, healthier, and more productive. Social cooperation is also integral to effective work. It's one of the defining characteristics of being human. So I try to keep that in mind whenever I'm feeling a little bit down. Yeah, well, I I think the internet businesses make it hard, you know, because this is good. This Mm -hmm. is doing good. But for however long I did Polyglot, however many articles and stuff I wrote, none of them made me as happy and as fulfilled as just volunteering in person. So combined, that that would have been incredible because volunteering in person immediately inspired me to take on a bunch of language projects that I haven't finished yet because I've been busy. But (laughs) the inspiration never came to me from just getting comments from like strangers on the internet and like it's all valuable. They're real people and it's valuable, but there's Mm -hmm. like a, some sort of like just a a gut feeling that's different. Yeah, it is different. And to say nothing ill of the feedback I get, online, through email, through comments on the YouTube channel, whatever. Those are very different than when I go to VidCon and somebody comes up and says like, hey, I graduated with straight A's because I used your stuff. Yeah. And like in person is just, it's a very different feeling. And I guess I wanted to highlight that here because it might feel like an easy fix to go start some sort of project you can do hidden away in your room and just publish it to the world as like a way to help. And that is valuable, but I think there is a difference between that and between getting out there and doing something with people face-to-face. Yeah. Well, I think it'd be really, really easy if you're prone to it, working on some project in your room to have a bad day where you convince yourself the project's worthless, you can't succeed at it, it's not help. Like Mm -hmm. you're still mostly in your head. Yeah. Uh, so I guess to wrap this up, if if confidence is something separate from self-esteem, I, I, think, I think that they are at least symbiotic. If you do things that raise your confidence, you are probably going to start to experience greater self-esteem. And I think vice versa as well. If you like yourself, you probably are going to find that you're more confident too. Yeah. All right. Question number four. I was wondering if you could share the details about your recording setup. I've been wanting to start a YouTube channel for my singing and was wondering what kind of mics and other recording equipment would be worth spending my money on since you play the guitar too. So very different question. 
That is a very different question. Going to get a little technical here. Um, so what I thought I would do is give you guys a brief explanation of the recording gear that we use for this podcast. And then I know that you have independently produced your own music. That is true. I have independently produced some solo guitar stuff that's not nearly like an album, but it's at least something that I've put out on the internet. Uh, so I thought we could also touch on maybe some cheaper options. Yeah. Because my gut feeling about this is if you want to get started in music, buy what you can afford and just make music on it. I think like somebody who puts in a lot of hard work and has talent recording on a $50 mic is going to make better music than somebody who just goes out and buys all the most expensive stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> One of my favorite, like this, this is really, really old. I don't, I don't think it's even online anywhere, but in uh on one of my sort of albums or eps or things my one of my favorite recordings on there was one that i had taken on a little voice recorder when i wrote the song right at that moment oh because really? every single time i tried to re-record it the feeling wasn't there because i had mm. wrote it specifically for a moment and like the the emotion came through in the recording better so like the recording quality didn't matter because if you can't get the emotion into it that on this big fancy expensive stuff yeah then like it is far less valuable. Than, it's like it's like how you can have really, really good and, and amazingly done pixel art, even though technically speaking, yep. it's not that like quality. Mm-hmm. But it still looks cool. It's the artistic intention behind it that matters more. Yeah. Or like we said Celeste earlier. Yeah, I that's love that's, that's one of my favorite. It I want to play so that good. again right now. Yep. Uh, okay, so to get into our podcast recording setup, the mics we're talking into are Audio-Technica AT2035s. They are their condensers, I think, and that is different than dynamic microphones in some way, shape, or form. I can't remember the exact reason. I bought them because they were the ones that the, um, the Complexly people that run Crash Course and SciShow use for their podcast. Huh. And I was like, hey, that seems like a good mic for having two mics in the same room yeah, sharing echo and everything. Yeah, somebody else, then... I thought it sounded good. So these mics, um, they're not USB mics, I think, or they may be duals, but we don't use USB. So there's know. basically two, way to, two ways to port your microphone into a computer. You can use USB, which is the lower quality, but still decent way, especially decent for voice. Uh, or you can use XLR cables, which is the industry standard. So we've got XLR cables going up of these podcast arms, and they go into a Focusrite 18i8 audio interface you don't need the 18 i8 because that has like 18 inputs they also sell a like a 2i2 which is like the solo one and i think they also sell one just called the solo like scarlet solo or something like that so there's a bunch of these little audio interfaces out there i just picked that one because i have another mic that i use for my other previous podcast listen my matters which is the Shure SM7B. It's the one that Michael Jackson recorded Thriller on. It's a very popular one, hmm. but it takes a lot of power to drive that mic. It takes so much power, in fact, that I have another little device called a cloud lifter that boosts the gain on that particular mic because even, even the Focusrite can't quite drive it enough. Huh. But the mics go into the Focusrite, and then the Focusrite has a USB connection to the computer. And for the podcast, we record on a program called Adobe Audition. And you can basically just set up Adobe Audition to listen to different channels on the audio interface, and then it just records us in real time. And we save it, and that's that's basically that. So for guitar, um, what I've done in the past, and to be clear, I only do acoustic recording at this time. I have an electric, but it's not a good electric, and I do have a good acoustic, so I just never feel like recording the electric. Um, I have a Boss Katana guitar amp that has built-in effects, which can technically go straight into the audio interface and record from the amp. But I haven't played with that yet. What I've actually done is I just put the mic really close to the guitar and play into it. And you can look this up. I think that there are a lot of different types of positions that you can use to achieve a different sound. But I think the, the most recommended one is to put the mic not directly over the big hole in the guitar, but a little bit up the neck, like maybe two or three inches away from the hole, going up the neck and then maybe angled towards the hole. I don't know why, but that's what I read. 
Some sort of sound science, probably. Some sort of sound science, yep. And if you're particularly interested in music, um, again, go with what you can afford. GarageBand, if you have a Mac, is a great start. Audacity, which is yep, free. Yep, I used Audacity. I think you used Audacity. Um, that is what you can use to record straight-up instruments. If you want to start going further and you want to start maybe synthesizing your own drums or using MIDI instruments, things like that, uh, I use a program called Ableton Live, which is not cheap, but it's it's one of the industry standards out there. And then I think for your album, you used Fruity Loops, right? I did for all except for one song, okay. on which I used LMMS, I think, which is basically the Linux open source version of Fruity Loops. Oh. So that there's is, an open source is, audio yeah. or uh, music making program. I don't know that it's quite as nice, but it is quite as free. It's okay. pretty good. Well, yeah, because Ableton Live is like, I don't know, there's like a super basic edition for maybe 100 bucks, but it goes up to, I think, $700 for the main version with all the instrument packs. So yeah, music production gets expensive when you start getting into it. Then again, my brother spends even more because he hires producers and let lets them do the work for him so yeah you can go crazy with music production uh but i i want to really emphasize the idea of just doing what you can with what you have and one of the greatest examples in my mind of of this is there's this youtuber by the name of sarah with two a's so i guess three a's actually s-a-a-r-a and she has some some vocal cover videos she's done on what I know is a pretty cheap mic and they sound amazing. So working on your vocal talent or working on your instrument capabilities and then just learning some simple techniques like compression, EQ, things like that in your editing software, even if it's free editing software, can go a long way. And then once you've maybe gotten some experience and you've saved some money, then you can start upgrading gear. But don't think you need to spend $500 on a recording setup to make music because you made two albums. No, three albums or maybe a fourth. One album and two EPs? That's what it was, yeah. One album, two EPs while in college and on a huge budget. Well, actually, huge isn't the word. On a tight budget. Oh, yeah. A huge budget would be the opposite. Uh, Yeah, very tight budget. Yeah. Like you were not buying Ableton Live. No, and that would have stopped me from making any music whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You didn't have an expensive guitar. I don't think you had an expensive... You actually used the ATR 2100, right? Um, that seems... I think you did. That seems plausible. That's a $75 mic, and you can often find it on sale for 50 That seems reasonable. I think that's what I used for that. So, And if anyone is thinking of starting a podcast, that is the mic I recommend. ATR 2100 yeah, from Audio works, Technica. Works just fine. It... Is we have one. Uh, I basically gave it to Anna to record her voiceovers for YouTube. And if I did like a blind test with anybody and asked which of these mics sounds best, our mic, my super nice mic over at the desk there, or Anna's mic, uh, I bet nine out of 10 people could not actually tell that the nice mic sounds better. Hmm. Again, it's just proper mic technique. It's knowing how to EQ and compress your audio correctly. It's removing imperfections with software. It's a good recording environment. There's many different factors that don't actually cost money that you can improve. So that's all I'll say on that. If anybody has any extra nerdy questions, they can ask them in the YouTube comments or DM me, and I'm happy to get even nerdier about the recording setup. But we are going to move on to our... Final question. So I noticed that earlier in the podcast, you mentioned there are some things you weren't good at. And on a previous episode, we talked about how you've just accepted that you're not good at laundry. Uh, well, I have many, many reasons for that, you know. <laughs> so one person DM me recently, um, he noted the laundry thing and he wanted to know, like, what are you guys not good at and how do you deal with it? And he followed that up with a bit more nuance. He said, I feel like there's this huge, huge pressure on ambitious young people to aspire for perfection and optimize every part of their lives. For me, it can be a real struggle to acknowledge something I'm bad at without feeling like I must better uh, or must be better or fix it right away. So how do you deal with this? And what are we bad at? Well, probably nothing. 
Uh, actually, yeah, we're just good. We're at internet geniuses. Yeah, that's what good at everything. Being on the internet means. No, I'm I'm bad at quite a few things. Um, I'm really really bad at lying when we play any sort of like mafia or secret Hitler game. Yeah, I'm the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not good at that. It's it's kind of hard to like think of the things you're bad at in the moment, but then when you try certain things, you're just like, oh, I'm not good at that. Yeah, I'm really not good at that. Like recently, I just remembered that I'm really not good at billiards. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I went to round one with my mom and tried to play, and I'm just awful. Uh, huh. But, and I think this is where I want to go with this question. I think that there are definitely things in life that I'm always going to be bad at, and that's fine. But with most things, what I tell myself is that I am not practiced at that thing. Okay. And... There may be things that I'm not practiced at that I'm never going to be practiced at because there's a zillion things we can do in this world, but we have to sacrifice the ability to do other things whenever we choose a certain path. There's always an opportunity cost. So 99% of the things and pursuits in this world are going to be things that I will always be not practiced at or quote unquote bad at because I've chosen to focus on other things. That's a good way to word that. I'm not as focused as some people. I read that, um, who was it? I think it may have been Albert Einstein was like a notoriously bad driver. Oh, Just yeah. Just like, I don't want to focus on that, bro. Yeah, I have other things to focus a reasonable thing to do. Now, I want to be a good driver, but you know what? Maybe I don't want to be a good tennis player, and that's okay. Yeah. Now, I like the idea of viewing it as not being practiced at something because mm-hmm. most of the time, that it, that is true. It is a changeable thing. Mm-hmm. And like the way we use language is very important because yeah. it's how we think. We use our language to think. So if we're going to think in ways that seem impossible to change, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And we all have natural talents. We have different talents. I might find going out of being, um, what's the word, extroverted, naturally easier than you. Yeah. But we both can practice at it. And we both can improve. You're probably going to find super analytical problems like coding easier naturally than I will. Doesn't mean that I couldn't get good at coding, but you're going to have an easier time of it. Yeah. So you do have to know yourself and you have to realize that certain things you're just going to latch onto more readily than others. But that doesn't mean that you need to shy away from certain things. If you like to do them, just do them. You know, even if you're not great at them. I think it's actually a very important and humbling thing Mm -hmm. to do something when you know you're not going to be that good at it, just to like remind yourself. Mm Mm-hmm that you can't be perfect at everything. One thing that I know about myself is that when it comes to um, speed, I'm very much not a fearless person. So I will never be an exceptional skateboarder, an exceptional cyclist, uh, because the downhills will just scare me too much. I'm oh, yeah. be an exceptional skier. I can get good at those things. I would say that I'm better than the average person at cycling and skiing and skateboarding, but you're never going to see me doing a tray flip down 10 stairs. You're never going to see no, that, that me scary. doing speed skiing. And you're never going to see me winning a cycling race because the moment we get a big downhill and everyone else is going 70, I'm just on the brakes, paralyzed with fear. And maybe I can that get a little really bit more. Fast. It's super fast. Maybe I can get a little bit more confident as time goes on and I'll be able to take those corners going down mountains a little bit faster, but I'm never going to be competitive. And I just know that about myself. And I'm okay with that. Yeah because I'm better at other things. So you just have to realize that, number one, you're probably not practiced at it. You're probably, it's not that you're naturally bad. It's just that you haven't practiced. And number two, it's okay if you're bad at certain things. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's just the the pressure to attain perfection is ridiculous because mm-hmm. you can't do it, obviously. And yet there's always that little, little thought that maybe other people can't do it, right? But if I work hard, I can do it. And that's just yeah. so, like, arrogant. Um, it's like, it's not, I think humility is far more important than a vain attempt at perfection because you're mm-hmm. not going to reach it anyway. You're just going to be very, very narcissistic and still not perfect. So yeah. you're you're going to be like... Because everybody else is going to see that you're not perfect while you think that you're getting to be perfect. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And another thing, which I'll end on, I read, I don't know if it was research or an article, and this was a long time ago, saying that people instinctively don't like 
other people who seem perfect. This is true. And you are more likable if you have something about you that is a flaw. Hopefully the flaw isn't that you're like a cannibal or something, but like, It's not necessarily a flaw. He's a really bad singer or yeah, he just sometimes, I don't know, trips and falls on his face. Otherwise he's a great guy. Well, it's like, like intimidating if somebody seems yeah. to be good at every single possible thing. Yeah, there's no way to connect maybe, with maybe them. Maybe you can't talk to them, and then the minute you see them mess up, you're like, oh, exactly. we're, we're good now. Yeah, um, and it's especially good when somebody is comfortable in their own skin and they're willing to laugh at themselves and be okay with their flaws. Uh, and actually on the Charisma on Command channel, there's a video about Chris Hemsworth that kind of touches on this, so I'm going to put that in mm. the show notes. Um, he was talking about you know his own flaws or... There was, I think there was like a a part where on a TV show they were asking him like why he had painted his toenails and he was just like super comfortable about it. He's just like, oh yeah, my daughter did that to me. <laughs> and I just went around walking in public in flip-flops with painted toenails. That's, That's fair. cool. That's fair. That's fine. Uh, so yeah, be okay with your flaws. Be comfortable in your own skin and they will actually help you connect with people on a, you know, on a better basis. Not yeah. every flaw. Maybe there are some flaws that you should probably work on. Yeah. I don't know. If you tend to like violently throw up on people when you meet them, maybe work on that one. That does seem like it might need some work. But if you stutter, that's fine. Work on it, but don't let it get you down. You know, it's just, it's a relatable thing. Everyone has something that they don't like about themselves. Yeah. So it just makes you easier to connect to. All right. Speaking of connecting, you can connect to us by following us on Instagram I'm Tom Frankly. You are Yo Martholomew. Ask us your questions. They may form the basis for new podcast topics or five questions episodes like this one. You can also follow us on Twitter, exact same usernames, Tom Frankly and Yo Martholomew. And uh, the show notes for this episode will be found over at cigpodcast.com slash 223. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the link in the description down below. If you haven't subscribed to us yet on Apple Podcasts, definitely go and do that if you have an iPhone. Otherwise, Google Podcasts or Pod, Pocket Casts, Podcast Addict, uh, or Spotify, actually. There's tons of different oh, ways yeah. to do it. Uh, and if you want to support our show, one great way to do so would be to go over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes if you're doing it on a computer and leave us a rating and review. That is a great way to help boost our visibility on the iTunes and Apple Podcasts charts. And it also lets us know what you guys like what you guys want to see improved, all that great stuff. So thank you if you do that. And thank you as always for simply listening. I think that is about it. So I guess one thing I forgot to mention is you can find our resources page at collegeinfogeek.com slash resources. It's gonna be redesigned very soon. That is true. It's gonna have a slick new look. It's gonna be fast. And uh, over on that page, you're gonna find our college packing guide, our essential books list for students and all of our favorite gear that can make you a more productive person. So check that out. Thanks for listening. And we will see you in next week's episode. Stay cute.